Coming up on Chasing the Natty, last week we analyzed the coaching changes who will have the greatest impact on Power 4 offenses. This week, we're heading down to the G5, where we will take a look at quite a few head coach and offensive coordinator hires that have flown under the radar, but could have massive implications for many of those small school hidden gems that we love to find every single year. To help us out, we have Luke and Justice from the G5 Hive podcast on ready to break it all down for us. All that and more coming right after this. This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everyone. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus of Canton Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning during the season, during the offseason at 6 a.m. sharp. You want to support the great work we're doing here? Head on over to campusacan.com and subscribe there with one of our awesome tiers. You can find those when you go over to the website and click on Become a Member. All the details will be right there for you. You'll find everything you need for all of your college needs. You got CFF, Devi, C2C, IDP, betting needs. We got rankings, articles, tools, depth charts, uh, the returning production package as part of our C2C winning edge package. More on that later. And even more than that, really, it just... I, it, it's hard for me to list off everything we have going on over there at the website. It's just absolutely insane. So go check it out for yourself. Do all the exploring and get back to me with what your favorite thing is on the website. You can f- also find me on the show on Twitter. I'm at CFF underscore Jared, and the show is at Chasing the Natty. And the two gentlemen joining me here today, you can also find on Twitter. You can find Mr. Luke Probosco over there at Probosco Luke on Twitter and Mr. Justice at Justice underscore 2318. They are the two hosts of the G5 Hive podcast, a college fantasy show dedicated solely to G5 coverage. So who else better to bring on to discuss all of these coaching changes going on in the group of five? Gentlemen, I don't even know who to really start with. I guess we'll start with Luke. You're on the left there. Luke, how are you doing today, man? Doing pretty well. Pretty excited to talk about some G5 football. I mean, this is where a lot of fantasy football games, championships can be won and lost. You can have a whole G5 team and, and make an impact in the league. So I'm I'm excited to talk about, about these guys today. All right, Justice, how about you, man? How are you doing? Doing well, man. Like Luke said, I'm excited to talk about the G5 uh, coaches stuff, uh, maybe some player impacts. It's something that we've been focusing on the last several weeks in our on our own podcast, going conference by conference. So, you know, it fits in very nicely. Yeah, again, we're only going to be discussing about 10 major coaching changes here today on this podcast. If you guys want to like a breakdown of literally every coaching change that has happened at the G5 level, highly, highly suggest you go and check out what Justice and Luke have been doing the last couple of weeks over on their podcast. They not only break down the coaching changes, but who, which players are most likely going to be impacted. Really, today's episode is going to be kind of the the highlights, really, of all of what you guys have been working on the last five weeks. So 
absolutely go check out their stuff. Let me ask you, Justice and Luke, whoever wants to answer this question, really. How did G5 Hive come about? Well, I had an idea. Um, and and there's kind of a grand scheme plan, hopefully, coming together this summer. And I asked Justice because he had some G5 you know, ties with ODU, and he's excited about this stuff. And I was talking to him about this idea I had, and he's like, yeah, that's a really good idea. We should do that. Or, like, you should do that. But you should also, like, work on gaining followers and, and getting people excited for this. So I don't want to talk about it quite yet because okay. I don't want to – I don't want to. I don't want to spill the beans before you know everything's coming together, and then it falls through at the last minute or whatnot. So it'll be, you know, people will know like when it comes out. But I've I've got this thing planned. And I've had it in the works for over a year now, or close to a year, and I, I'm really excited to put it together this summer. And so then we started like, well, it's it was like what justice four Probably, weeks before the season yeah, started, like end of July maybe. And we're like, you know what, let's put, you know, a podcast together. So we just talk about G5 football and started just like identifying, you know, kind of quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, just looking at volume and trends and, you know, who we should maybe pick up off the waivers. And then there's so many college football leagues where it's just the Sun Belt or just, uh, g5 or only power five so this and then when you have limited waivers it's like okay what do i want to do so we're, we're trying to give as much information as we can and i really really like coaches uh and their tendencies because they're pretty stubborn um and they're going to keep doing the same thing and honestly you could have the most talent least talent in the world if you can be coached and do what they want you to do that's what you're going to do uh, and justice loves looking at the players and how that fits in. And then we're just like, you know what, let's just combine it together. We made our, our podcast. And like I said, I'm hoping this summer is when our big, the big reason we all got together uh, started. Uh, and I think you guys are filling a very big void in college fantasy coverage as much as I, and really a lot of us do our best to cover all 131 teams, we will all admit without a doubt that covering any kind of G5 team is much harder than finding any kind of information on most Power 4 teams, right? So you guys really are taking that time that would only be about 50% of my time maybe researching, if even that, and you're turning it into 100% of what you guys are doing. So you guys can do all that diving deep, digging through the weeds of all the terrible beat writers for a lot of these schools, doing the dirty work so a lot of us don't have to. So you guys are doing a great job over there. Justice, did you have anything else to add on terms no, I mean, of on top of what Luke's talking about? Maybe spill yeah, the beans? Yeah, I mean Luke and Luke and I have been talking for, you know, a while. Like like it kind of started off, I guess, for the relationship first started off, I guess, me kind of helping Luke, right? Um I think he'd ask me like, hey, I'm up in a draft. What do you think here? What do you think there? And just kind of grow from there. And then like you said, he had this idea and I said, hey, you know, we should just do a, a year round podcast, not just, you know, a one off kind of thing. So that's kind of how it started. Yeah, I got to give I got to give a shout out to you, Luke, because I think what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of the interviews that us at Campus of Canton have gotten over the last couple of years have really been because of Luke. Luke has done a fantastic job of making these connections finding ways to get in touch with these players and everything like that. So I know like you guys had Ishmael Mahdi on your show a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, we were able to interview Devontae Walker last year. The year before that, we were able to interview Stevon Cobbs. Um, Ashton Gianti, I believe you also got that connection for us at Campus of Canton, Luke. So really big shout out to you. Clearly, again, very connected guys throughout the G5 levels, both Justice and Luke. So pretty much why you should be listening to their show. With that being and said, gentlemen, the, the, oh, go ahead, Luke. The, well, the other thing that's really hard that I found out is with this G5 is a lot of the local papers that you might be in bigger towns that cover these teams are getting cut. Like newspapers are like going away. Oh yeah. So then your beat writers are harder and harder to find. Like there are some, I'm not going to say all of the schools, but there are some schools that is only the student newspaper that covers them. So I have made connections with mainly seniors and then try to figure out who is that junior that is going to take over the content so that then I can get in contact with them so I can figure out what's going on at these schools. Dude, that's, I, I, if anybody's trying to get in, information, like really, that's, that's a great way to go about it. I never even really thought about that. Cause you're right. When it's a student newspaper, you're constantly having to change your source. So. And I think, it, yeah. I think it's shifting from like a beat writer to like, you're, you're basically trying to find like, who's the super fans, right? Yeah. That might be providing some kind of, you know, internet site, website coverage, whatever, and moving more towards them than from a beat writer. Cause like Luke said, the beat writers are kind of gone now. All righty, gentlemen. Again, once again, I'll say it again. Everybody go check out the G5 Hive, but we're already about 10 minutes into this show, y'all. So let's go ahead and I say let's get started with some of these coaching changes for this upcoming year. And before we get to that, I got two quick little announcements that I got to say once again for everybody. One, the C2C Winning Edge package, the returning production, has been released onto the Camps Again website. If you are somebody who is sitting there like, oh my god, I have no clue where people transfer to. I have no clue like um, which seniors are coming back for another year, stuff like that. The C2C Winning Edge package for the returning production is the one-stop shop for you. Nicholas Ian Allen, Colin Decker, Jarek Brackus have done an incredible job scouring the internet making sure they can find as much information as possible in terms of who's coming back, who is returning, where guys have gone. Really a one-stop shop, and it's completely worth it in my opinion. Even for this show today, I am constantly referencing it to make sure that there's not somebody that I miss in terms of somebody that we could talk about here today. So completely worth the money in my opinion, so absolutely go check that out. And then the other part is the fact that we have the Freshman Supplemental Guide for Campus again coming out on March 1st. Uh, big news for us on the CFF team. Again, we are writing the supplemental players. So if you're in a C2C league or a CFF Dynasty league and you need to be caught up on the freshmen coming in and just any players that are pretty widely available in a ton of leagues, that is the guide for you. It's one of my favorite guides we put out every single year. So absolutely go and check that out. All right, mini spiel out of the way, gentlemen. Let's go ahead and start talking about these coaches. And we'll start with the most recent coaching change that came out really just a couple of days ago here. It was rumored for a little bit there. Finally made official, I believe, not yesterday, but the day before. Adele McGee, the Georgia running back coach, I believe he's been there for about nine years now, is taking over the head coaching position there at Georgia State. So, Luke, I'll ask you real quick, man. What was your initial reaction to this news? Uh, Well... Initially, great that uh, they could get a head coach because they had already started their spring practice and then had to put things on hold. And then they had their strength and conditioning coach kind of be their interim, which 
I personally love because a lot of uh, the the team building or or what that identity is built in the in the weight room. I feel mm-hmm. like and, and in those workouts. So I really like that. But yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like Del McGee is good at uh, recruiting, and Georgia State doesn't have a lot coming back and they're going to need some recruiting and transfers. And I think it is a good foundational piece. Plus he, I would assume knows the state of Georgia pretty well. Um, So I, I think it is a good, good start for uh, Georgia state going forward. What about you, justice? What was your initial reactions to this? Yeah. I mean, like, like Luke said, I think it's a great hire for them. Um, I don't know what else to say. He's got he's got his work cut out for him for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, the 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 cupboards very fairly bare, um, at least on the offensive side of the ball. So, um, but I you know like I said, if he's if he can recruit well and and bring in talent, um, I think you know Georgia State being in the Sun Belt can do well. You know, being in Atlanta, et cetera. Um, yeah. Maybe maybe he'll build build the pipeline for the guys that are um, unhappy at Georgia, you know, and and want to, you know, you, you you see that sometimes, right? I mean, I know at Old Dominion we see that we saw that in the beginning with uh, Ricky Ronnie, you know, getting some Penn State guys. So maybe you'll see a little bit of that there as well. No, I could totally see that. I mean, same thing with Buster Faulkner at Georgia Tech, right? He like he got Brett Scyther, he got Dominic Blaylock to follow him from Georgia, and he grabbed a couple of other guys as well. Uh, speaking of Buster Faulkner, I. I think that you're going to see somewhat of a similar um, approach from Del McGee, kind of like the same way Buster Faulkner brought the the Georgia approach over to Georgia Tech. He's going to bring it over to Georgia State here, right? Um, The rumor is that he is going to hire uh, uh, Georgia offensive analyst and former Clemson offensive coordinator Brandon Streeter to be his offensive coordinator. Again, that makes sense, kind of bringing in that continuity right there. There's some um, some experience. There's some um, relationships there. And initially, I was thinking to myself, like, oh, I don't really like that. But really, like, for us on a CFF perspective, right, like, Streeter didn't do terrible for us for Clemson in 2022 right like DJU still finishes a top 20 quarterback Will Shipley was a top 20 running back their wide receivers were a complete wash and I expect the same thing at Georgia State this year as you guys kind of mentioned the cover is completely bare most of the guys have either graduated transferred out stuff like that and they got nothing left in that receiving department quarterback could be interesting they bring in Zach Gibson over from Georgia Tech I don't know what kind of relationship McGee has with Gibson or any of them I think that this is a program kind of like Washington. I mentioned last week is going to be a team that attacks the portal a ton in the spring in terms of getting guys. Like again, people are going to be attracted to a guy like McGee who has been not really a directly like an assist an associate head coach at Georgia, but pretty much was helping with a lot of those CEO type moves at Georgia during his time there. So if they think that he'll build a similar program at Georgia state, could be very attractive for them. But as we kind of mentioned, there's so much to change, so much to build upon there. It may not be worth investing a ton in Georgia State, but what about guys like Freddie Brock, right? Are you guys still interested yeah. in him? I mean, I think, the, I think if there's one room like that has some talent, it's probably the running back room. Um, so I would expect 
you know, the philosophy is going to be run the ball, play good defense, right? Kind of play keep away, so to speak. Yep. Like you said, Freddie Brock is there. Um, but they also bring in two transfers, uh, C.J. Beasley coming over from Coastal Carolina and Dominique Thomas coming over from Clemson. So if they're going to hire Streeter, like maybe he has some familiarity with Thomas. I'm not sure if he was there at the same time. I don't know what year Thomas is, but I don't. I mean, definitely some interesting options at running back for them. All righty, Luke, you got, you got any final and thoughts here? Yep. Just now that Nick Saban has retired, like this coaching tree seems to be like picked and plucked from other jobs. And is this, you know, going to be, is Kirby smart, the new Nick Saban in regards to having to rebuild his coaching staff here and there and, and, and make things work. It seems like, you know, every, every year somebody's gone from, from his staff. No, for sure. Again, it's the consequences of success. When you have the program that everybody is trying to replicate, of course, you're going to have people trying to pick, pick people from your staff, especially guys like Mickey, who I've mentioned already was there for almost a decade with smart. So it's not like he just came in last year and like, Oh, well he learned everything in a year. We'll grab him. No, this is a guy who's been there for a while and should know everything there is to know about building a program. That's why he's able to land a job directly from a positional coach to head coach. All right, let's move on to our next one here. We'll stick in the sun belt here, gentlemen. I think that's actually the show that you guys are doing this week. So you guys yes. will hear it yep. here first in terms of what kind of analysis you can expect from them this week. But let's talk about Bob Chesney, the former Holy Cross head coach heading over to James Madison to replace Kurt Signetti, who's moving on to Indiana. James Madison said, nope, we're not going to go grab any Power 5 assistants. We're going to go and pull from the FCS ranks again here. So, Justice, we'll throw it over to you first, man. What's your initial reaction to this hire? And... What else is there, or what else is, or, or oh my goodness, what's the most important parts about this hire, Justin? Justice, oh my goodness. Well, for, for me, like, um, I think it's a good hire. Uh, JMU traditionally does make good hires, um, you know, whether it's basketball, uh, football, and, and they've been, you know, they've been, their athletic department's been on the rise um, the last few years. So I think it's a good hire by them. Um, some interesting things I feel like with Chesney is, you know, they, I'll start at quarterback. They bring in Dylan Morris over from Washington. He doesn't really fit the mold of what they've had at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that confuses me a little bit, right? Um, Chesney's featured a, a running quarterback, you know, 1400 yards, 1500 yards. You're not going to get that kind of pr- running production from, from Dylan Morris. So, you know, I'm not really – I got to assume Dylan Morris was brought over to be the starter, right? Mm-hmm. But they do have other quarterbacks that kind of would fit more of the mold of Chesney's past with Alonzo Barnett and Brett Griffiths. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, how that dynamic plays out and how they mold the offense. Now, if Dylan Morris is the starter, well, then that's probably good news to the running backs, right? Because mm-hmm. I would assume that that, that – that production, that rushing production is going to have to come from the running backs because it's not coming from Morris. Um, they do bring in George Petaway uh, over from North Carolina and Ayo Adeyi over from North Texas. Um, so maybe those two, two guys are going to be the kind of one-two punch. But the one thing interesting about both of those guys is neither one of them are good pass blockers. So, you know, they're on the smaller side. So, you know, I, 
it just interesting pieces there from a quarterback and running back perspective, I guess, uh, based on what he's done in the past. One thing I find interesting is that Matt Sluka, who has been with Chesney for like the last three years, was in the portal. And a lot of people expected him to follow him to James Madison, just kind of pick up right where they left off. And no, he ends up at UNLV. Do you guys happen to know anything about why he didn't end up going with Chesney? I don't know. I really don't. Nope. Okay. I didn't know if there's anything I'd missed out there or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> Luke, what can you tell us about Chesney? And then the one thing that Justin did, or I keep saying Justin, excuse me, Justice. Um, All right. The one thing that Justice didn't really touch on was receivers. <laughs> so what can you tell us about what we can expect out of receivers with Chesney moving to James Madison? Well, you're only going to want maybe one wide receiver. It's not going to be a multiple wide receiver set because honestly, the a lot of the fantasy points come from the quarterback. The quarterback has a rushing share of 32.8% while your RB1 is 34%. So that's where a lot of your stuff's going to get uh, taken, but the quarterback does throw the ball. So when he, uh, when they do throw the ball, the wide receiver one averages uh, this time, uh, between 2018 and 2023 at Holy Cross is 45 receptions, 681 yards, seven touchdowns. That was so your average? 13 po- that's the average. So Jesus. 13 in a full point PPR league, that's 13.62 points per game. So they, from a historical standpoint for, for Bob Chesney, it's they average 29.7 points, 30 points a game. They pass it 23, 24 times a game, and they run it 40 times a game. Mm-hmm. Like, so you're going to, and again, if we don't have a running quarterback, then I'm expecting that 20 or that 32% to kind of get divvied up between a couple running backs. So then it's probably the running back that you want. You probably want to avoid the wide receivers. But for whatever reason, if you do want to target a wide receiver, you probably want to go to the outside. The typical wide receiver one there averages a height of six, two and a half and 204.5 pounds. So outside guys who you want, but again, 13.6 points, probably something I'm avoiding. Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll throw out some, I'll throw out some context here. Cause on the screen here, if you're watching this on YouTube at the bottom there, I have last year, last year, Coker, their top wide receiver, would have been wide receiver six in college fantasy last year. But the context there is that he scored 15 touchdowns. <laughs> like they threw, they threw 25 touchdowns. He scored 15 of them. So dude was just a tough touchdown machine last year. Only 59 receptions over a thousand yards, which is obviously good for any college fantasy wide receiver. But at the same time, like big play guy, probably playing at a higher level than he should have been at the FCS level. I actually don't know what happened to him afterwards. I'd be curious to see if he transferred out of Holly cross after this, but Regardless, that seems, as like Luke kind of pointed out, that has more to do with Coker just probably being a better receiver than anything else that he typically has. And while I think Ab- there's some interesting options at James Madison, nobody is there that I'm really willing to put, yeah. some, put some chips down on yet. You're gonna I, say, I think it's... Yeah. And, well, just Coker, he had over 1,000 yards, and that's the only time he's had over 1,000-yard receiver. In 2022, Coker had 912, and then after that, no one's cracked 700. Yep. So I think it more sp- speaks to uh, Jalen than, than anything. 
I mean, if you're looking for a few names, um, Cameron Ross transfers over from UConn, but Ross has primarily played the slot. Um, if you're looking at the outside guys, a couple guys to keep an eye on, Taji Hudson and Troy Lewis, who came over last year from East Carolina, mm-hmm. Maxwell Moss, a returner uh, this year, and then they bring over Nakai Poole from Mississippi State. All righty. A couple of names to keep, keep in the back of your mind. Every single one of those guys goes for free in a best ball right now, so if you're – if you're just looking for something to throw out there in the 30th round, that's probably the best time to take a shot on those guys. Otherwise, running back, I think we all agree, is the most interesting option here. One word or two word answer. Uh, just give me a name. Would you rather have IOD or would you rather have George Petaway? Petaway. Yeah, Petaway. And lean towards Petaway? Alrighty. All right, let's move on to our third coach here. Let's talk about Mr. Bronco Mendenhall, the former Virginia head coach, has been really out of the coaching scene since 2021, and New Mexico fires their former coach, and in my opinion, makes a pretty big splash head coach hire with this one. I I thought if Mendenhall got back into the coaching scene, it would be at the Power 4 level, but nope, he is here in New Mexico. And the last time we saw Mendenhall, he put together one of the most insane CFF passing offenses we've ever seen. If it weren't for Western Kentucky and Zach Kitley and Bailey Zappi and all of them happening in the same year, more people, I think, would be putting this offense in those all-time CFF books. Like, they had almost 400 passing yards per game every single week. They had three receivers with 90-plus targets. Brent Armstrong ended up being QB3 on the year overall, passed for nearly 450, or excuse me, 4,500 yards and only had like 200 yards rushing. Just an insane, insane system for him that last year. And even before that, Bryce Perkins was going 2,500-plus passing yards and 700-plus rushing yards in both of the seasons that he started in. It's a great system for CFF, is what I'm trying to say. And if he can get it going here in year one, there's absolutely something to love here about if he can get the system going in the Mountain West. So, Luke, I'll throw it over to you first, man. Do you expect Bronco Mendenhall to run the same system? Do you think he'll get it going in year one? And then who benefits from that? Well, like I mentioned earlier, we're creatures of habit. They're going to run, try to run uh, the best thing that they can to what they know. But I kind of look more at Jason Beck because uh, Bronco Mendenhall has been more of a D.C. type guy. I had a lot more uh, defensive coordinator jobs. So I'm looking at Jason Beck and what he was able to do. And then he also coached at Syracuse uh, and had a running type quarterback there in Schrader. So. I think they're going to definitely. I believe he's want also on staff at Virginia during Bronco Mendenhall's time there as well. So these two have a history yes. together. Yes. Yep. So he, Jason Beck, was with Mendenhall from 2016 to 2021, and then he went to become the Syracuse quarterback coach in 2022, and then was the OC and QB coach this last year. So yeah, they, he, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall brought. Uh, I can't remember the DC that they brought with, but he was also with Virginia. It's pretty much a regurgitated uh, Virginia team from 2016 to 2021, all all now over there. Um, so I'm expecting a a mobile quarterback, and they they have a they like to pass a lot. So they're 
historically over that time in Virginia, they've averaged about 29 points per game, 38 passes a game and 33 rushes a game. But the quarterback for being the leading rusher on the team has been number three, number two, number two, number one, number one, number one. So um, the quarterback has averaged 25 points per game. And then in the last four years, because I feel like when you take over a team, it kind of takes a while to get your guys in there, whether it's offensive linemen, quarterbacks, these guys, this guy, his last four years there at Virginia was 28 points per game. And that's something that you, you want to have. And I don't think anybody's targeting, you know, this system really high uh, for a quarterback, but uh, yeah. So I think, I think that's what you really want. Um, so also if they throw the ball a lot. So what wide receiver do you want? Their wide receiver one averages 75 receptions and 815 yards. Yep. Touchdowns aren't sticky about four to five touchdowns a year in full point PPR, 15.3 points. I'll take that. And it's usually a slot guy. 5'11", 201 is kind of that mold. Uh, Justice really likes to look at where they line up, which is great. I like to look at stature of, you know, because you can usually tell what position they're also playing by their height and weight. Um, But you can also just also tell like, oh, that's kind of weird. He played outside, so they kind of like, you know, maybe they like little guys on the outside or whatever it is. But that's how I kind of break it down is is what is that average body type that, that you're looking at, too. So I'll throw the names out here then. So, right, you're talking about a dual-threat quarterback. Well, they got one. They got Devin Dampier. He's a true freshman last year. At uh, Kind of took over a little bit as the year went on as Dylan Hopkins got banged up. Uh, not any performances that are going to make you write about the, write about him until the cows come home. But like we said, he is a dual threat quarterback in a Mendenhall offense that immediately peaks up our interest right there. The other part of it is you mentioned the wide receivers again, great wide receiver history with Mendenhall at Virginia, right? You got Alameda Zacchaeus, uh, Hysis Dubois, uh, Dontavian Wiggs, uh, Keaton Thompson, all these guys that Thompson. we love over yep. the years, right? And you bring up a very Billy interesting Kemp. point. How Billy Kemp, yes, another one. Um, you bring up an interesting point about a lot of these guys tend to be slot guys. Well, I immediately picked out Caleb Medford as he is a young guy, true sophomore uh, last year, led the team in targets last year. And I was thinking, okay, with Hickson graduating, Washington transferring, he's like clearly the top guy in that room coming back. But he plays on the outside. Plays on the outside. So, Justice, Dampier, and Medford, those are the two names I've identified. Do you agree with me that those are still the two guys to take a look at, or are you looking well, elsewhere for that receiver position? So, so Dampier is certainly um, number one, right? Like head and shoulders above anything else you're going to want, at least I think in year one. Um, in, in high school, Dampier had 2,400 yards passing as a senior, 1,300 yards rushing. I think he's going to fit what Bronco wants like perfectly. Receiver, like you mentioned, um, Medford is an outside guy. At least he's played outside in the past. Um, Ryan Davis is their top returning slot guy. They bring over Isaiah Jones um, from Syracuse, who played mostly in the slot for Syracuse. Um, They also bring over Sean Miller from Illinois. He also played outside. Here's a a name, and Luke and I were talking about this last night, that could be the next Billy Kemp. Okay. Could be. 
you know, so they 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 brought in two transfer running backs, Eli Sanders from Iowa State and Javen Jacobs from Arizona State. Javen Jacobs, while he's listed as a running back, like if you look at his high school stats, he didn't really do much at Arizona State. He was a receiver, man. He wasn't really a running back. He had two all-purpose two years of a thousand plus all-purpose yards. Well, most of those, the vast majority of those yards came from receiving. His senior year, he had 60 catches for 920 yards. So perhaps they brought him over to kind of feel feel like, you know, like a Billy Kemp type role. So Jacobs is definitely someone I'm kind of trying to keep an eye on um, as spring practice goes on. So the other thing with Jacobs, again, usually from the slot, 5'11", 201, Javen Jacobs, 5'10", 195. He's, he's around that. Plus, you lose all five offensive linemen. Yeah. You you need a mobile quarterback. You probably need to get it out quick. Your first stop, probably either a dump off to a running back or a, a slot guy. Speaking I think of, this could be kind of the Blake Watson type uh, pickup guy that might do more in the in a lot out of receiving. I guess. So let's talk about the running backs uh, for a second here, right? When you look at Mendenhall's history at Virginia, it started off pretty good. Like Jordan Ellis provided a solid back for them in 2017, 2018. But really, as he got dual threat quarterbacks in Bryce Perkins and Brennan Armstrong, the running back production just completely fell off in his last couple of years there at Virginia. Luke, you seem a little optimistic that the running back position could be an interesting spot here with the fact, like you said, they need dump off options. So are you investing in a guy like maybe Eli Sanders who's coming in over from Iowa State? No, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go uh with oh lost my spot here. Give me a second. Good. I think I'm gonna go with Javen Jacobs um because he has okay. the pass catching chops. No, but I thought um, he was gonna play slot. Maybe I misunderstood you. He might. We, we yeah. don't know, right? Gotcha. We don't know. He's he's listed as a running back. But Billy Kemp was also a running back, right? But really played mm-hmm. a slot receiver. We just think that maybe they will use Jacobs in that same type role. So gotcha. it could I be. Was, I was talking like they more do, traditional have dual, running He could have dual eligibility. But if if it's just a normal running back, I don't want your offense lines all new. It's going to take a while to get them gelling. Mm-hmm. I don't really want that. You're going to have a running quarterback that's going to already take away some of your percentage. I don't want that. Plus, historically, his. RB1s have averaged 14 opportunities a game and 12 points per game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're probably a bi-week fill-in, and I'm probably not looking there for week-to-week production. But later in drafts, hey, I might take an upside pick here with Javon Jacobs. Gotcha. And Justice, I'll, one more question I'll ask you here. What's the likelihood, percentage-wise, I guess, that New Mexico, given the, their history over the last couple of years, given the fact that it's a new coach, year one, hasn't brought all those players in, and as you guys mentioned, they don't even have, they're replacing their entire O-line. What's the likelihood that they're just too terrible to invest in for anything in 2024? Even if uh, we love this pro- system. It's, it's, probably, it's probably at least 50-50, right? I mean, and <laughs> and that's and that's only that's only Dampier. Yeah. Right? If I'm going to invest, the only one I'm going to invest in, unless it's some stupid, you know, deep league, is Dampier. Um, 
I there's agree. Just, there's too much risk with the offensive line, I think. All righty. Let's go ahead and move on to our fourth coach we'll talk about here today. A guy we all know and love over the last couple of years, Mr. Sean Lewis, the former Colorado offensive coordinator, now becoming the head coach at San Diego State. Before that, he has a long history as a CFF gem for us over the last several years at Syracuse. In 2016-2017, Eric Dungy, at quarterback, was just an absolute monster, um, leading his team in rushing in both of those years. Receivers uh, Steve Ishmael and Amba Eta Tawa were both great CFF wide receivers for that time. After that, becomes the head coach over at Kent State from 2018 to 2022. Some quarterback names you probably recognize from his time there. Woody Barrett, Dustin Crum, Colin Schley, all guys that we loved. Uh, running back, he has an abysmal history uh, with running backs, except for one, yeah. Mr. Marquez Cooper. <laughs> in 2022 where he let him have like 200 carries and it, he's never let any other running back do that um and then at receiver again i'd already talked about ishmael and etta Tawa, but at kent state you also had isaiah mccoy dante cephas devontez walker just a continuous pipeline of guys we love and then at colorado picked up right where he left off yes things kind of fell apart in the second half of the season but halfway through the season Jadur sanders was a top three quarterback in cff xavier weaver Top 10 CFF wide receiver. Travis Hunter, to end the season, was on a top 20 CFF wide receiver pace. So, wherever he goes, it is CFF gold. So, Justice, do you think he can get it going here at San Diego State in year one? And then two, who are the guys to invest in? Yeah, I mean, I think he can. Um, San Diego State's, you know, they're not as abysmal as New Mexico in terms of what they return and, and just... And overall talent. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring in AJ Duffy at quarterback. I fully expect, you know, he's gonna be their quarterback. Um, he does offer some rushing upside, you know, maybe not he's not gonna be Dustin Crum, but certainly I think he can get you four or five hundred yards. Um, and then like you said, if you're looking at this offense, you're really looking at the receivers other than quarterback. Um, and it's the outside receivers are the ones you want to own in his offense. The, the probably the name that we everyone hears about and, and people that are drafting is Lewis Brown the fourth. But Lewis Brown the fourth played the slot at Colorado State. That doesn't mean he's going to play the slot, you know, in, in Sean Lewis's offense. And I actually expect he's not going to, um, because they also brought over Deshaun Polk, who is a former slot receiver for Sean Lewis at Kent State, with a brief stop at uh, West Virginia in between. Um, I expect that they'll transition Brown to the outside. Um, another. Th- thing that I think wouldn't shock me is, you know, tight end Michael Harrison came over from Colorado. He is not enrolled in the spring, um, but, you know, he's 6'3", 215. Like, if I told you this guy is 6'3", 215, what are you going to tell me? You're probably not going to tell me he's a tight end. You're going to say, oh, he's a big outside receiver. So, you know, I I think it's possible they transition Michael Harrison to receiver in this offense. Um and then if there's an if someone I'm looking at for the future, it would be wide receiver Balen Brooks, a a true freshman last year, um, who primarily plays on the outside. So the, those are kind of the the guys I would be looking at for uh, Sean Lewis and, and San Diego State. I think one more name I will throw out here is um, FCS transfer Nate Bennett. Uh, former wide receiver at Portland State, pretty highly rated by a lot of the recruiting services as a transfer receiver here. Uh, played majority slot 
uh, back in his time at Portland State against 60% in 2021, 66% in 2022. Uh, you're talking about a guy pretty consistently, five, 600 yards for two years, 70 plus targets at both in both of those years. I think he could be a guy to, to keep an eye on as well. Luke, anything that Justice did not mention that you would like to talk about with Sean Lewis? Just if you're looking at pure stats, don't get, and, and especially um, opportunities, I, that's something I like to look at, especially from a running back standpoint. In in his offenses, the running backs have um, averaged about 18 opportunities a game, but they're only about 50-50. And then you get spot, and then you get rushes taken away from, from the quarterback. So, while it is, you know, a lot of opportunities, you mentioned at the beginning, there's only been one guy that's successful. And at that year, um, Cooper had about 75% of the running back carries. <laughs> that That is just, that's nuts. I'm going to kind of look at, at what I got here for stats for every other year combined is on average 52%. Yeah. So... If if you're thinking that you're gonna get that, you're chasing chasing a ghost probably or chasing an anomaly. Don't worry about that. Again, just stick with quarterback and wide receiver one. The, yeah. the one thing I would say is the ghost might appear though, right? Like yeah. it, it might. Marquez, it might. Marquez Cooper's in the transfer portal, so maybe he does go over to San Diego State. The other thing about San Diego State is kind of pointing out if Marquez Cooper doesn't come right they have a bunch of guys there that they've been already rotating the last couple of years. Like Armstead, Christian, Davis, Sutton, Martin Blake. These are all guys that have gotten touches one way, shape, or form. None of them have broken away from each other. And we've seen with Sean Lewis, again, outside of Cooper, he is not afraid to go full committee, and he is not afraid to yeah. almost completely abandon the run like he did at Colorado last year. Like, there was... Like, Again, that's part of the reason why he got demoted, supposedly, was the fact that he want, he w- didn't want to go back to the run, even though they had an abysmal running back room. So, Justice, yep. like you said, the, the ghost might come back, but Marquez Cooper played under him for three years, and it was only one year was was that, you know, huge workload. Yeah, but present. it was the last so, year. I, 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 would, I would side more with Justice on in the fact that, like, Marquez Cooper lands in San Diego State. I will absolutely invest with him. Another interesting transfer scenario here that a guy's not in the transfer portal, but people kind of suggested maybe he will. If Colin Schley decides he's done at UCLA yeah. and lands at San Diego state, that could be another really fun opportunity there. It'd be an interesting battle between him and AJ Duffy, I think. All righty. Let's move on to our fifth coach here. Let's go over to back. Well, actually we're going to the AAC to discuss a former Sunbelt coach, let's talk about John Summerall, former Troy head coach, heading over to Tulane to become their head coach. In my opinion, this is a home run hire for Tulane. John Summerall was a guy that I was looking at as a as someone who would jump up to the Power Four for a lot of different jobs. So the fact that the Green Wave was able to land someone like him really sets them up well for if we continue to have years of realignment, like. It shows Tulane has some money. They're willing to put some investment into their football program, and they could be a team that we watch jump up here in the near future, especially if like the Big 12 wants to continue to expand if the ACC needs to replace some of their members. Just something to keep an eye on right there. But 
enough of that. No realignment talk on this podcast. We must discuss the college fantasy implications here. Sam Rawls has been head coach for two years, and we have seen in those two years that his top running back, Kamani Vidal, has gotten 230-plus carries. Gentlemen, that has to be good news for one, Makai Hughes, who is still hanging out at Tulane. We have to imagine here. But the interesting thing to me was the serious uptick in pass attempts that this squad had in, two, in year two. They went from 401 passing attempts last year to, five, or to 457. They went at a faster pace. Both the quarterback and the running back got more opportunities in year two. We talk about all the time that year two really kind of shows you what is this offense going to look like moving forward. Do we think that he can pick that right up where he was at Troy and keeps that going at Tulane? I think potentially he could, given the interesting pieces he's bringing in. Like he got Ty Thompson at quarterback. He convinced Kai Horton to stay after he entered the transfer portal. They bring in receivers like Mario Williams, Shaz Preston. Luke, I'll throw it over to you, man. What do you expect out of this offense in 2024? Well, I think it's definitely going to be a playoff potential landing spot. Can we just, can you get the talent to jive together? That will be the ultimate question here. And I think they're, you know, a favorite to win the conference. But I'm looking, you know, Summerall's a, a defensive-minded coach. So I'm looking at Joe uh, Craddock, who is the OC at SMU 2015 through 2017, Arkansas 2018 and 19, and then Troy, you said, oh, year two. Well, Troy, year one, 2022, last year, 2023. So I think that's definitely what Joe wants to do mm-hmm. um, there, and and he's, he's working his way there. So if I'm just going to look at him, he averages – and he's had some abysmal Arkansas teams that he was uh, coaching, but averages 27.4 points per game, 33 pass attempts, and 36, 37 rush attempts per game. So they like to run the ball, uh, which is good. His RB1 averages opportunities of 17 a game and about 60% of the workload and over 1,000 yards. That's his RB1 over those times have averaged over a thousand yards. Yes, 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 please. Yes, yes, yes. Give me that. Um, and they, they average uh, 20 receptions. So points per game wise, one point PPR 15.16 over that time frame. That's what their RB one has averaged. Yes, 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 yes. Hit that button. I want that. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of shoot this over to justice but there's something interesting. You know, you mentioned Vidal for last year. I think that's an outlier year. Uh, I think if you go chasing his 1,600 yards rushing and 14 rushing touchdowns, that's probably a mistake. Um, yes, you still won it, but that's probably your ceiling. Uh, and that's your kind of gold star, north star that, you, that you're going for. So, Justice, you know, tell me about uh, – running backs there that you like i mean makai hughes yeah yeah we like makai hughes um but i think what we'll look trying to say is like you shouldn't go in expecting when you're drafting makai hughes that he's going to do you know he's going to put up a vidal season right at wide away is he going to be productive absolutely he's going to get you a thousand yards but you know that's 16 1700 yards it's probably not you know where it's going to be um not to say it's not possible but i but you shouldn't go in like saying that's hey this is what he's going to do 
Um, they bring in, like you said, uh, receivers, Jared. If you look at the the, the um, Craddock's career, in the beginning of his career as OC, it was primarily the outside guys you wanted. Where it's kind of transitioned the last couple years is the slot guy. Um, and so that's good news for Mario Williams, right? Mario Williams is, is clearly going to be a slot receiver there. If I'm going, if he's, if there's someone like a receiver, I'm going to target first. It's going to be him. Um, and then after that, like you said, probably Shaz Preston will be outside. Um, one thing I did want to mention is, uh, I mean, his tight end Alex Bowman. Um, I think he maybe got a little bit of uh, pub last season. Um, and just looking at this offense, you know, from from the past, he may not even be able to repeat what he did last year. So a little, you know. Caution on Bowman as a tight end. I need to look at Bowman. Justice, I think he might be in the portal. Okay. And then Justice, while you were talking, I looked like let's just say we. I mean, Vidal's season last year, it happened. But nope, he is returning. You're correct. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Justin. Or, so, Luke, excuse me. So, oh my goodness. Uh, on average, the running backs average 957 yards without Vidal's last 1600 plus yard rushing. So. You, again, you're kind of expecting right around a thousand. If you're expecting 600 yards on top of that, I think that's uh, pie in the sky. So, just I definitely want the running back. Uh, just don't get duped into overpaying for that running back. I guess. So I'll ask you guys. So I'm looking at ADP for this year. I'm looking at last year. Vidal finishes the RB 22 last year. Makai Hughes in his last nine games after he really solidified that starting role at Tulane. Um, was on a RB32 pace. And he's currently being drafted at RB16 right now in drafts. Do you guys think that's going too high? Uh, I, I think that's yes. reasonable. I mean, I, for, for me, it's reasonable, I feel. All right, RB16. I think Luke, high. you seem to disagree. Yeah, I think it's a little high right now. So if I told it, you, like... Yeah, like 22, 24... That's where I'm going to feel more comfortable, but it kind of depends on what wide receivers are also there. I don't know. I don't hate it, but I at that cost, I'm probably out because there's still a lot of newness to this team. Mm-hmm. And granted, he he'll be he'll be a sophomore, so then you know you get another year or two, assuming he stays at Tulane and doesn't go somewhere. So what if he does something a little bit here or doesn't? but shows enough that he transfers up and then he's gone. So I'm trying to really look at these CFF assets in one year because I can't bank on anything after that with how these transfers have been plucked from the the G5. So let me ask you, Luke. I'll give you some guys that are going around where Makai Hughes is going. Would you okay. rather have Makai Hughes at RB16 or Donovan Edwards at RB15? Hughes. You'd rather have Hughes? <laughs> Would you rather yeah. have Makai Hughes at RB16 or Jordan James at RB14? Jordan James. Okay, Jordan James. Uh, what about, yeah. uh, let's go afterwards here. Uh, Jalen White, RB17, or Makai Hughes, RB16? Jalen White. All right. Penny Boone, RB19, transferred to Louisville. Rather have him or Makai Hughes? I'll take Makai Hughes. All right. Quentin Cooley, running back out of Liberty, RB18, or Makai Hughes at RB16? I'll take Cooley. Okay, you take Cooley. Okay. 
I was just curious to see uh, how you felt about some of the guys going around him. All right. It did, it did make me think, though. So maybe that is, you know, maybe Justice is right. Um, he is probably right around around there. But, yeah. All righty. Let's move do on like to... Him. do like him. And, oh, our, and let's not forget about everyone's favorite last year, Arnold Barnes. Maybe he maybe he gets a little bit of work this year. Let's maybe, just, but he also really did maybe. nothing last year. <laughs> he really he did, did nothing. nothing. <laughs> that sucks. Everybody wanted him. He wanted him. Everyone wanted him. He was uh, the darling there in the spring. I don't know what happened. Freshmen just hit a wall sometimes. All right. Yeah. Let's go talk about UTEP. Everybody's favorite team to talk about UTEP. Um, and their hire of Scotty Walden, the head coach at Austin P. now the head coach over there with the Miners. Who did I start hey, Jared, with last time? Jared, I'm disappointed you don't have the picture with him with the full uh, body makeup makeup on, the the art. Did you see that? I have not seen that. Yeah, yeah. He was at the uh, at the UTEP basketball game, like, I guess, over the weekend. And his whole – he had his whole body painted, man. He's oh, jumping around. Awesome. and Yeah, yeah. That was pretty cool. He jumped uh, up on a table. He was he was pretty fired up. I completely missed that. I absolutely would have used that picture for this one probably if I had known about it. So, Justice, I'll throw it over to you first, man. Um, from my research and everything, his offenses seem pretty variable year to year. And there's not really, like, a consistent system position that we are targeting here. Were you able to find anything different? So, um the running back up until last year was like an avoid. Yep. <laughs> um, but I guess if there is a positive, the the running back that had a bonkers year last year did follow him over, and that's Javon Jackson. For sure. Um he had 14, uh 14, 14 yards and up 10 touchdowns. Um if you got rid of that one season in his profile, is that they only averaged 700 yards. So not something super exciting. Um, looking at receiver, though, it's pretty clear that his outside receiver is his number one guy. The number two kind of, it, it's been a mix. It's been a mix of outside guys and slot guys. The positive thing is I think um, you know, he has two guys following him over Austin. There's a lot of guys following over Austin P. But Trey three, Goodman co- com- comes over. Trey Goodman comes over. Um who's kind of the, their, their second leading outside guy last year. So I would expect if they had stayed, he would be the number one outside guy. And then Cam Thomas comes over, their leading slot guy last year. I expect those two to be to kind of be the one-two punch uh, with with uh, Goodman being number one, Cam Thomas being number two. So those are probably the two that I'm looking at. They also bring over Kenny Odom uh, from that receiver room, their fourth wide receiver from last year as well. So that's where I'm a little bit concerned that those three guys last year – Goodman had 34 catches. Thomas had 50 catches. Odom had 28 catches. Now, Odom averaged far less yards than the other two and everything like that. But even still, they were all relatively even with each other in terms of their opportunities last year. And it makes me a little bit concerned that they, for the most part, do spread out their receiving options year to year. That's kind of the one kind of consistent thing I was able to find with Austin P over the last three to four years was that receivers don't really seem to have a super high ceiling maybe a low floor that you're interested in but i don't know none of those guys really strike me as people i'm willing to invest in especially when um 
I'm not really sure what to think of Cade McConnell at quarterback because he is he is returning at UTEP. Did not enter the transfer portal. Seems like he'll be the guy this next year as um, Delelio, the quarterback for uh, Austin P. The last couple of years is gone, and so uh, Skyler Lockler does come over from Austin P. Who is oh, the backup? Good call. Good call. So, so yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I'm I'm concerned about quarterback play. Um, and there's there's in a normal CFF draft, there's no one here that I'm targeting. It's going to be, you know, your super deep leagues where I'm looking at Goodman or Thomas. All right, Luke, what about you, man? What are your thoughts on this off this offense coming over to the minors? Um, I just do want to mention wide receiver one and wide receiver two averages over, you know, the time in, in 2019. I'm trying to think where where he was. It was in somewhere different than Austin P. Uh, Southern Miss. He was at Southern Miss. Southern Miss. So in his time at Southern Miss and then at Austin P, wide receiver one averages 16.36 points per game, and wide receiver two is 13.86 points per game. So and that's a bonkers year in there because again, like my 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 stats. Well, yeah, you, you had Quez Quez Watkins at Southern Miss. Oh, he was there. okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, Tim Jones at Southern Miss. So in Southern Miss, he, yeah, Quez had over 1,100 yards, and Tim Jones had over 900 yards. Gotcha. Um, and touchdowns don't ever seem – it seems to be right in that, like, five to seven range. No one's ever going to go, like, super crazy. Like, even Quez uh, during that time only had six touchdowns. Gotcha. Um, but, again, that, but yeah, that, I, at, at this point, that's ancient history compared to, like, what he's been doing to Austin P the last couple of years. I, I probably yeah. would if, if I was like doing like a weighted average, I would definitely put more emphasis on what he's been doing recently, especially since it's the same guys he's bringing over. Yep. So it'll be kind of like a Western Kentucky. Um, I'm trying to think where everybody came from at that point. Houston Baptist. Um, yes. Houston Baptist. It's it's almost kind of like that type of situation. Now it'll either work right or not. Yeah. Just just a giant claw picking up the entire. Austin P team and just dropping it over at UTEP in El Paso. Yep. Alrighty. Let's keep it going here, y'all. This next one, in my opinion, is definitely one of the most interesting under-the-radar hires, considering everybody got focused on the fact that San Jose State hires uh, Ken Niumatololo as their new head coach, and everybody's like, oh my goodness, a triple option coach? What in the world is that? Well, he immediately came out and said, no, I'm not bringing the triple option to San Jose State. I'm leaving that behind uh, at Navy. And he seems to have backed it up with his hire of Craig Stutzman, the former wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator at Texas State. And before that, he was the offensive coordinator at Utah Tech. And so, obviously, there's good precedent there at Texas State. But I really wanted to take a look at what he was able to do at Utah Tech during his time there, because that's the last time we've really seen him call plays. He has his own offense. He calls it, it's an offshoot of the run and shoot. He calls it the spread and shred, which is an incredible 10 out of 10 offense name. Um, His quarterbacks in the year that he was at Utah Tech, they had a kind of a weird thing going on, a two quarterback system. And But if you combine their stats together into one quarterback, it would have been good for QB 34. So definitely good and most of that coming from passing um which is something you like to see 
the very low floor or excuse me, high floor QBs there, especially when he has some decent options in Jay Butterfield and Emmett Brown transferring in. I was blown away by the fact that do you guys know who his RB one at Utah Tech was? Wally Conley. Wally Conley, who I thought that maybe bringing Sutzman might convince Conley to stay, but Conley said, no, I got a better relationship with the uh, co- the running backs coach heading over to Arizona. So I guess that makes sense. But at the same well, time, I, think I, it's, I don't know if it was going to say that's probably more of an opportunity you know, to move up and, 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 and uh, competition. No, absolutely. I, I think that's part of it as well. But I, 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 as soon as I saw that, I was like, wow, what a, what a weird coincidence that is. And yeah, obviously – Quali Conley had a great year there. If I plugged it into last year for CFF, Quali Conley, if he had those stats, would have finished as the RB39. So a very solid CFF potential there at running back if Sutzman's able to get it going here. And then really the thing that blew me away was Joey Hobart in that one year he had at Utah Tech. Now, granted, very similar to uh, Coker, who we talked about earlier, insane number of touchdowns. Hobart had like 16 touchdowns in this year for Utah Tech. But regardless, that would have like his production that year would have been good to be wide receiver one in CFF last year. Again, take away some of those touchdowns, you're still probably looking at a top fifteen, top ten wide receiver for CFF if he's able to replicate that this year. So again, I I I think it's super interesting. Like again, if we find the right pieces in this offense, San Jose State players are not going at all in drafts right now. Now, granted, we got to figure out who the running back is going to be, right? You got uh, Jabari Bates who's coming back. They're bringing in a transfer from uh, Gam- Grambling State and Floyd Chalk the fourth. But I'm now really super interested in Nick Nash, right? Because in both of the systems that Sussman's been a part of the last two years at Utah Tech and at Texas State, the wide receiver ones have been absolutely incredible. Granted, both of those are Joey Hobart, but also at the same time, like, it shows that he's willing to nail in on one guy. Nick Nash becomes very interesting to me all of a sudden. Top well, receiver coming back from last year. Go ahead, Justice. I would say the, I think I, I the problem is is I think I redeploy how Nash has been used. Right? Is because you're right. The Hobart has been productive, and even before um, you know uh, Stutzman was at uh, was in Washington State and Hawaii. Like it's primarily been whoever's in the slot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm more interested to know who's going to be that slot receiver. Um, Nash has primarily been an outside guy to this point in his career. No, and I, again, I think that's fair. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm a big systems guy, so I, I agree with you that somebody to keep an eye on as well. But a lot of times, sometimes they just go to the guys who have been there longest, who are the returning top guys. They're guys that they can rely on, especially. Yeah, Nash, and, they, like, and, they, they, and they could move Nash to the slot, right? No, I for mean, sure. I, no, he's, I, he's a big guy, so like I don't know if that's really what they want to do with them but well sometimes you see that right though like yeah. they're, they're trying to manufacture touches for their best player nope i could definitely agree with that what about you luke Who, who's in, who's interesting to you at san jose state now it's hard to tell there's a lot of it's a lot of murky muddy water here and i think this is going to be a big one where you're going to watch spring um practices see what that spring game looks like and hopefully give us a better idea going into the summer drafts than I have of somebody right now. Um, I mean, I'm going to probably go for the slot. I might be interested in a quarterback. Not, not exactly sure 
as of today. There's there's a lot more unknowns. So I guess if I'm you know gambling on probabilities, I'm probably avoiding this team compared to all the other teams in CFF until I know something more. But at least lock in so you know maybe there's a priority ad you can do early in seasons that you you know if you got Joey Hobart week one like that probably really helped or like after week one. It really helped you during the course of the year. So you can have like, hey, I'm looking for this type. And if you've got whatever, PFF or whatnot, look who's there at the slot. Or maybe it's an outside guy that they, they target and take take your swing. Yeah, I'm trying to look up currently. Cool. they uh, We have Tayshawn Hurry transferring in because like – um, he comes Akeel, over from Weber State, but he's mostly an outside guy too. He's an outside guy past. too. Dang it! Yeah, like I was like, uh, Matthew was Coleman. Matthew Coleman's their top returning slot receiver. Um, and then another guy that no one's talked about is Justin Lockhart comes back. Oh, but that's... Justin Justin right. Lockhart is also an outside receiver. Oh, Jesus. So um, somebody's got to play. Somebody's got to play the slot. Yeah, they're going to move guys around. You have to think, yeah. right? Yeah, yes, I completely yes. forgot about Justin Lockhart. That's a that's a really really good call out there, Justin. Or Justice. Oh. And they've got four off Justice, the line. I owe you. I owe you a dollar for every time I call you Justin from here on <laughs> out. Right. Hey, Luke, you were saying sorry, man. I didn't mean to cut you off. And they they just have four offensive starters on the offensive line that they're going to have to replace. So again, not something great for a running back. Maybe something that you want for your uh, slot guy though. Yep, nope, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our next coach here. Let's go talk about Seth Dagey, the former Purdue tight end coach, becoming the offensive coordinator there at Marshall. It's interesting whenever you have a first-time play caller, right? It is hard to go back and look at the history in terms of what they have done at previous Spots, even looking at what he was influenced by at Purdue and everything, you have to imagine that as the tight ends coach, probably not super involved in the game planning there. At least, again, outside of the tight end position. But Marshall and the entire and the, and the staff there have been very open about what he is being brought in to do. For those of you who don't know, Seth Dagey was an absolute monster at Texas Tech in the years of 2021 and 2012. Dude, in 2011, 4,000 passing yards, 28 touchdowns, ran for four more on the ground. Um, not Again, he ran a lot, but again, like it was never over 100 yards. So again, it, it, most of his damage coming through the air. An air raid guy. He is expected to bring the air raid system to Marshall, which is going to be a very interesting change given the fact that when most people think of Marshall over the last couple of years, they think of Rasheen Ali, Kalen LeBourne, high rushing attack, right? So... If he's able to get that going in year one, this system becomes very interesting in terms of guys that you can get very, very late. We've already touched on the fact in a previous episode, Mitch Griffiths is now there, the former Wake Forest quarterback. New scenery, maybe he he does well there, but Braylon Braxton also is being brought over from Tulsa, so they're kind of co-favorites right now in terms of who could win that job at receiver. Um, In 2011, the receivers weren't as great, but in 2012... Uh, Texas Tech funneled the ball to basically two wide receivers in Eric Ward and Darren Moore, both over 1,000 yards, both over 12 touchdowns. Just an absolutely insane year for both of them. You're kind of hoping that maybe that's a similar thing going on here at Marshall in year one. They bring in Elijah Metcalf coming over from uh, Middle Tennessee State. 
which is formerly Air Raid, not going to be Air Raid this year. So he got out of there. He's coming over to a team that says they're going to do the Air Raid. He should be able to slot in from day one, in my opinion. Tyshawn Chapman, the wide receiver out of UNC, former four-star wide receiver, one to keep an eye on just because of talent. But again, I question whether or not, given how much production he's had so far, whether or not he'll immediately slot in there. But Luke, throwing it over to you first, man. What do you see out of Daggy's hire to Marshall? Anything that I haven't mentioned yet? Um, I think me and Justice were talking about this last night. There's one of two routes that this goes. He's either going to be a a play caller that models Mike Leach's approach or Graham Harrell's approach. Now, which one is that going to be and what's that going to affect? Two, two different, you know, things there. Um, so Leach quarterbacks average 4,500 yards passing. Harold's is just over 3,000. 3, Huge difference there of, of which one it's going to be running back. You've got um, Leach is going to be more of the receiving uh, running backs while Graham Harrell is going to be more your your normal just run it guy, but that's like 750 yards rushing. I don't want to steal all of Justice Thunder because he did a lot of this, so I'll I'll let him talk a little bit more. But I think that's the that's the thing that we need to just be looking for. Now, okay, now we know it's going to be this type or this type. Now we know what to hone in on for positions. I think so. Justice, I'll let you. Talk about what you found in your your research. Real quick, Justice, I, I just want to throw out there, in the interviews I've already seen with Seth Dagey and everything like that, it's been very clear that they're going to bring what he was doing at Texas Tech to Marshall. So if you're talking about which one are they going to do, go Mike Leach or go Graham Harrell, he very much wants to model what he did while at school. Well, the, and, and, they, and they both are, you know, passing the ball more than Marshall ever did, right? Oh, for sure. So... so he could be either one, and what they're saying still be true, I guess. Um, I think, like, the big point, like Luke mentioned, is running backs, is how they're going to be utilized. Like, in a Graham Harrell offense, you don't really want the running back there. They I mean, no. they might be a bi-week filler. But if they're going to be used like they are in Mike Leach's offense, then that's a potential, you know, week-to-week starter, especially in a PPR league. Um, if you look at the receivers, then – one thing between either system is clear. Like the number one guy is always an outside receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they do bring in Elijah Metcalf, but Elijah Metcalf is clearly a slot guy. Doesn't mean he can't be productive because typically the number two guy is, is a slot guy. Um, but, you know, you, you want the, the outside guy. The other big difference between the two offense is, is in the passing game, one's more vertical. One's more of a dump off offense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the leech is more of a dump off short passing game. Uh, Graham Harrell's you know throws it a little bit deeper, and it, it's kind of hard to judge Graham Harrell too because his first couple years at USC were buoyed by like you know NFL stud receivers for sure. You know Dr- Drake London, Amonra St. Brown, Michael Pittman, um, but his his receivers do t- you know produce more from a yardage perspective targets they're very similar but again it's the outside guys um in addition to tyshawn chapman 
who you already mentioned. They also bring over Braylon Brown from Ole Miss. He's probably the one he's, he's probably the one guy that intrigues me the most. Um, They also bring Carl Chester over from Tulsa, also an outside guy. But um, I would say at this point, this is just an offense. I'm kind of waiting to see how the spring goes, see how those running backs are utilized and to see if there is an out potential outside guy that, that does step up. Um, I guess if you said, if I had to pick one guy now, I'm going to gamble and I'm going to take Braylon Brown over Metcalf. Metcalf definitely would be the safer choice because I think, you know, his, his, his role is very solidified. He's probably, and he's probably from a production standpoint, probably the number two receiver. Um, but I'm going to shoot for the upside and take Brown. So it's interesting you guys mentioned the fact that, you know, these leash running backs in the past, right, have been got like a lot of their production just comes from the insane number of receptions they get rather than, you know, running between the tackles. Of course, it's the air raid system. Ethan Payne is a guy that we have looked at over the last couple of years and just not a really good in between the tackles runner, right? He's not Rashin Ali. He's not Kalen Laborn. And if they're running the same system this year, I knew a lot of people were not right. Like I was willing to take him because he's so cheap, but a lot of people were saying like, Oh, he's not going to be that dude for Marshall moving forward. But now we're in a system where his skill set gets utilized a little bit better. He's a really good receiver out of the backfield as the backup in 2022, 10 receptions, 82 yards in 2023 as the backup, 16 receptions, 117 yards. This is how Marshall was already using him. And so if that's where his skill set lies, he can slot right into the system. And that's your guy right there if you're looking for a Mike Leach-style air raid uh, running back right there. So just one more name to throw out for everybody. They they also bring over Jordan Houston from NC State, too. Uh, Another great call. All righty. Let's go with our second to last uh, coach here, I'll admit I don't really know a ton about this guy, and except for again the fact that he has a great history, being a part of several great offenses: North Texas from 2016-2018, USC 2019-2020, Ole Miss the last three years. But John David Baker, former co-offensive coordinator and tight ends coach from Ole Miss, coming over to East Carolina. I remember listening to your guys' podcast, and both of you seem pretty excited about this hire so justice i'll throw it to you first man what is there to be excited about bringing in john david baker to east carolina well i I think the primary thing is like east carolina can be relevant again right it's it's gonna be more consistent right better for cff for east carolina um last year was abysmal from a production standpoint and um i'm trying to remember the quarterback uh that was there Holton Aylers. yeah holton Aylers. um you know just kind of up and down right like he was certainly startable some weeks and then some weeks he wasn't. And then like he'd get on a, he'd get on a heater where he had three or four games. So I, I think John David Baker is going to bring more consistency. Maybe we get back to like, you know, where East Carolina used to always produce a fantasy um, asset at ride receiver. I think we can at least get back to that point. So I am excited. They, they bring in, they, they brought in a lot of talent to East Carolina and mm-hmm. they bring in Caton Hauser quarterback they bring in Tyler uh Tyler Rendike Jake Garcia at quarterback um running back there is a log jam I don't know what to make of it you know they I mean pretty much everyone returns you know Ra- Rajai Harris J- Javius Bond uh Marlon Gunn Camaro Edmonds all those guys return I don't really know what to make of all that but there's one reason I'm really excited and that's for receiver and that's for Chase Hole. 
if Chase Soul can do what he did last year as a redshirt freshman mm-hmm. with um, Alex Flynn and Mason Garcia at quarterback, imagine what he's going to do with a better offensive coordinator and I and I got to believe better quarterback play. So I'm really excited to see what Chase Soul can do this coming year. The one thing I, I like Chase Soul too a lot. He stuck out to me um, when I saw, like you said, how given how abysmal that offense was, he was still able to, able to produce. Baker's coming from a system where their top receiver has topped only has topped seventy five targets in only one year, and that was back with Dante Ario Drummond in twenty twenty one. Now, granted, Sewell, based on everything we've seen, seems like a guy talented enough to earn more than seventy five targets, but it is something to keep in the back of people's mind that typically. With Baker, they they spread around their targets a bit. Luke, your thoughts, man, on this hire? I'm just, yeah. I'm this was mainly just a hype piece to really uh, get Sewell out there. Um, uh, good, bad, or indifferent for us. I, I'm I'm excited. Normally, you know, again, it's Old Miss. He's had quite a few uh, nice wide receiver options there. Uh, Malik Keith. Uh, Trey Harris, they're getting about a thousand yards uh, a year. You're getting 15 and a half points per game from a wide receiver one there. Mm-hmm. And it's coming from the outside, usually six, two and a half, 209. You got um, Sewell's six, four, 196. So I think he's kind of in, in that mold there. And I, this is just a hype piece for Chase Sewell get him uh late i i'm just very excited for for this kid yeah and again one one last thing not to be a debbie downer on this or anything like that but again it's, it, we talked about it with some of the other guys as well first time play caller baker has not called plays before again lincoln or not lincoln riley lane kiffin takes care of all that at old miss and everything yes he has the co-oc title there so clearly part of the game planning obviously that's great but you know, it's different when you actually when you're actually on the field or you're up in the box having to make those calls and everything like that. So we'll see how he performs. It could be great. It could be nothing. Who knows? Some, uh, something that Justice mentioned uh, last night when we were talking, kind of prepping for this, was something that that Lane Kiffin does really, really well is molding his offense to his talent that mm-hmm. he he does have with so. Usually trends are the thing to find. It might not be the the thing here for ECU. If if John David Baker does kind of, hey, this is what I have, so this is what I got to do. Unlike some coaches that are like, yep, this is what we're doing. I don't care what we have here. You know, this is what we're running. So I think that this offense from year to year can has the potential to uh, change. All right. One, one one quick thing I wanted to mention is tight end, like. It's it's been hit or miss with with uh, Baker and and Ole Miss as well, but it's something that worth possibly paying attention to here. Uh, Shane Calhoun returns, and then Casey Kelly comes over. Casey Kelly oh, comes from I missed that one. Casey Kelly comes from Oregon, but where was he at before Oregon? Oh, he was at Ole Miss. Um, so yeah, tight end is something that, you know I, I at least want to pay attention to. No, I think it's a great call out. I will be real. I thought Kelly was out of eligibility by this point. All right. One last coach we'll talk about. Well, we have we have two that we could potentially talk about. Both of these guys, in my opinion, like I saved them for the end because they're kind of Debbie Downers, right? These are both hires that we're not super excited about, but we'll talk about the first one here. Walt Bell, the new offensive coordinator at Western Michigan. This is a depressing 
depressing history to look through. Um, he was the <laughs> offensive coordinator in 2016 at Maryland in 2017. Uh, he was the Florida State offensive coordinator in 2018. Uh, then he became the head coach at UMass for three years, <laughs> and where he went two and twenty-three. Where he went two and twenty-three, and then he was the offensive coordinator for Indiana the last couple of years. I went and looked and like tried to find, like, all right, where's where's the good where's the good CFF news here at Maryland? Uh, Ty Johnson hit a thousand yards, but that's because he ran for ten yards a carry. He only had a hundred and ten. Uh, carries so that's not sustainable whatsoever uh quarterbacks at, in both of his years at maryland did not hit 2,000 yards passing and it was a complete mess he was constantly rotating different guys out there florida state his one year at florida state in 2018 might be his best year which is really sad to say because again that was the year that deandre francois threw for 2,700 yards but for 15 touchdowns and 12 interceptions and he also he had, had a bad offensive line, with right? a ter- terrible offensive line. And he had Cam Akers and only had him run for 700 yards and was part of a committee. So good job there, Mr. Bell. And then we've already mentioned UMass two and 23 record overall. Granted, it's hard to win a, a, at UMass regardless, but like the one lone bright spot was Ellis Merriweather who ran for a thousand yards but only five touchdowns. So again, the scoring, the offense was just bad in general. So the scoring opportunities are limited. And then if you paid attention at all to Indiana the last couple of years, there's just been no CFF relevance there whatsoever either. And now he's going to Western Michigan where we all like Jalen Buckley, but man, he loves these committees at running back. So like, I think I might be avoiding Jalen Buckley for the most part, moving forward, considering the, this guy's history Every single school, again, running back by committee, just poor offenses in general, limited scoring opportunities. It's a max school. The variance goes from year to year very widely. So if they make a wrong hire here, Western Michigan could be bottom of the heap very quickly. I don't know. It, it, this this has bad news written all over it. What do you think, Luke? Absolutely. And that's kind of why we wanted to talk about it. Because, again, trying to watch out from bad investments, too. You forgot to also mention he was fired five games into the 2023 season at Indiana. Yes. So it only it only gets worse. Um, but yeah, only two out of his six years did he run as many plays close to what Western Michigan did. He's only had two 1,000-yard rushers, uh, once at Maryland, once at UMass. Um, he definitely likes to run the ball more on average – passing it 30 times a game, rushing it 35 times a game. Um, and again, for those who don't know or don't remember, Lance Taylor, a year or two there at Western Michigan, he came from Notre Dame. He was a running back coach, running game coordinator. Uh, also, you know, wants to probably run the ball. So that that is a, a bright spot. But, you know, Western Michigan um, ran about 74 plays per game last year, which is just crazy almost 40 times a game um and when so i'm not exactly sure who's going to be calling plays maybe maybe that's one maybe bright side uh so hey we're going to run the ball the the one thing to watch out for is a, a sleeper that not everybody had last year but i know you mentioned it on chasing that a late in the year is kenny womack 
Mm-hmm. Um, he played the slot. I don't know if that's something that we are going to want this year. Uh, Justice, you kind of looked at the wide receivers. What do you think about Womack and his potential for next year? I mean, like like you said, um, it's not overall good news. And it's probably, I mean, maybe he'll mold it the offense to fit, fit his talent, but primarily Walt Bell's like number one receiver is an outside guy, and that's not Kenny Womack. So, um, yeah, just kind of, I guess all of this is to say just temper expectations for Buckley and Womack. I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I think Buckley. I think people are more excited. He's the one that's definitely getting drafted higher. Um, just kind of. Temper your expectations now. Yeah, Buckley's the other currently po- being drafted as the RB twenty one in the late fourth round. Yeah, that's probably I'll take McCut- Hughes over him. <laughs> yes, you would. Little... You would take McCut- <laughs> Hughes over him. <laughs> that's yes, probably yes. that's probably a little high. Now, you know, we we talk all this doom and gloom. Now, there, I guess that there is a positive. It's the Mac, right? Yeah, it's so, the Mac. You know, it's the Mac, and you know, Walt Bell. You know, for all his faults, has primarily not been good in the P five. Maybe what he wants to do at work in the Mac. I, you know, I don't know. Could be. All righty. One last one I'll throw up here. We did. I did not make a graphic for it, um, but it is It's just kind of a little bonus one here. Again, Walt Bell, we don't like that hire and everything like that. Middle Tennessee State, uh, moving on from the air race system, they've hired Derek Mason as their head coach, the former defensive coordinator, at Oklahoma State. Before that, he was the head coach at Vandy. I think this is a good, just a good football hire for Middle Tennessee State for the most part. I think they could have definitely gotten a lot worse. But again, for CFF purposes, they're moving away from the air raid system. They lose a ton in terms of their receiving talent. Again, we mentioned already Elijah Metcalf moving on. They bring back Holden Willis, which is good to see. They bring back their top two running backs in Creedle and Peasant, which is also good to see. But for CFF purposes, Defensive-minded head coach moving away from the air raid. I just again, if you're going to invest in Middle Tennessee State products, I would temper expectations, which I think for the most part we have been in league so far. Justice, I'll let you speak on this real quick. I'll see if I can find any Middle Tennessee State guys going in drafts. Well, obviously the one has to be Holden Willis, right? Yes, um, that's, that's probably the only one. Yeah, tenth um, round, tight end five, and and, and so. We'll talk about the receivers, um, slot receivers. So Bodie Reader has been brought in and to be the offensive coordinator. Um, slot receivers have been the one to target in his offense. Um, if you're going to target someone. And so Holden Willis, as a quote, um, it's a quote, Froton as a Tito, right? He is, um, a, he is a fully a tight end in name only. Right. Um so well, even right on his 2024 on the roster, he is listed as a wide receiver. And he only right? plays in the slot. He does not play any inline snaps. So he is at, like actually yeah. definitionally on fan tracks only a tight end. Yes. And he, he did have some inline snaps last year. So it wasn't a lot, but he's primarily a slot guy. So that's good. If they're going to use him as a slot. Um, the, the word of caution, though, is like Luke, like Luke just said, on their 2024 roster, he's listed as a wide receiver. So it's very possible you, you're, if you're drafting him to be a tight end that your eligibility gets changed before the season starts and he actually becomes a wide receiver. So that's just kind of a word of caution there. Um, Vatiato, I, I think I think while he might not – he's not going to get the volume he had last year, the yardage is similar um, from uh, 
in Bodie Reader's offense. So he's not going to have the attempts, but he's going to get some of the yards and more downfield passing. Passing. So I think Vatiado, um, you know, as, as a last quarterback, right? I think I think it's worth something like that. Or obviously, super deep leagues, he's going to get drafted. Um, but just don't go in expecting, you know. 30 point games, I guess, you know, he's going to give you the, the, the 20, 21 point games. And, and that's kind of what you should expect. I think. Yeah. Vatiato is currently being drafted as a QB 47. I'm trying to see what is that? What is that in terms of round number? I just saw it. Wait, I mean, just off the top of my head, that seems somewhat reasonable to me. Yeah. 16th round. So yeah, that's, go, that's, going that's, around that's guys like Bert Emanuel, um, Max now, Johnson. Bert, I, I'd rather have Bert Emanuel, right? Yeah, yeah. Higher upside. <laughs> but uh, Max Johnson, Anthony Calandrea, Ethan Vasco, Cade Klubnick, right around that range. And, 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 and he'd, be, historic- he'd be a great guy for the last pick in a best ball, right? Because he's oh, yeah. his job, his job's pretty secure. He's safe, you know, consistent, all that kind of stuff. So historically, uh, from uh, Bodie Reader's offenses, he so he's been the OC at uh, – you and I are University of Northern Iowa in 2022, 2023, Utah State in 2020, and North Texas in 2019. His quarterback has averaged 18.96 points per game, and that's in a six-point passing touchdown league. So if you're in four, even less. Then you, your RB1, um, with I just kind of took out COVID – when looking at the quarterback wide receiver, because I, I, I do typically like as well. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not worth for it. like four games or something. So RB one, uh, 11.72 points per game, uh, 704 yards rushing. And then wide receiver one, 60.3 receptions, 846 yards and seven touchdowns. Good for 15.29 points per game. But he only had the one 1000 yard receiver this last year at you and I, um, so they do like to pass it, spread the love. But if you do get the wide receiver one, 15 points for uh, an option is not bad. Again, something that I'm just kind of watching. The other thing that it intrigued me is Metcalf was um, the slot guy there, got a lot of usage. They bring in an OC who likes to feature the slot. Why did you leave? Um, so that is kind of like a yellow flag as to i'm not sure there's something going on maybe behind the scenes maybe it's you know there was enough leaving here at middle tennessee that he didn't want to spend i, I believe he only has this is last year of eligibility yes and maybe it's like i just don't want to be around for that and i want to go try what they're doing at at marshall mm-hmm. that very well could be it i'm not sure but that was something that was kind of interesting if you're bringing in a coach that focuses on that they just had a 1000 yard receiver why would you want to leave that potential it's definitely some something to keep an eye out out for well gentlemen that brings us to the end of our show i'll throw it over to you guys real quick again i know you got your super secret project that you guys are working on <laughs> uh, that i'm excited to hear about moving forward but anything else like what are you guys doing the coaching changes right now player changes as well like talk about the transfers and everything conference by conference what do you guys got planned after that um talking spring game spring practice reports stuff like that um we, we, we we're kind of figuring it out as we go as far as like show topics so if there's something someone wants to see let us know um we've got two more shows planned for the sun belt splitting them up so mon- this monday and next monday is kind of already planned 
after that, we're, we're tossing around some ideas, um, maybe talk to some, some folks about spring games or whatnot, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of Hawaii today. Hawaii's got their spring game today, so hopefully get some information on them. I no, I can't wait until those beat writers write that <laughs> article about the spring game and they just talk and they give you nothing. The, like you remember last <laughs> year's article where they're like, "Yeah, that game happened today," and yeah, just well, nothing. They didn't, they didn't just say anything. didn't say anything about it after that. I was just like, "Good lord in heaven!" Uh, anyway, uh, again for us over here, chasing the natty again, pretty much same thing, kind of going on. We're gearing up for spring. Obviously, uh, we're watching, making sure we're keeping up with all the teams that are getting started here soon. Probably start off next week's show with a little bit of spring news that we're able to get. But I will be taking a look at early CFF ADP again. You've heard me reference it multiple times tonight and everything. We're gonna do a little bit deeper dive into that next week. Some guys who think are going too high, too low. Should be a really good fun time. Uh, with that, we've come to the end of our show. Thank you guys all for listening. If you've not already, make sure you leave a like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're on the podcast side of things, follow the show and leave a five-star review where you can. Uh, like I said, make sure you check out the rest of the Campus of Canton podcast network for shows ranging pretty much on anything you can think of related to the college fantasy game. We'll see you guys back here next Monday. Like I said, we'll talk about early ADP there. And until then, really appreciate you guys, and I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed week. See y'all.